0: Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Womble Bond Dickinson Ramble, 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 Ramble. Ramble, 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 Ramble. ramble. It's the Womble Bond Dickinson Ramble.
1: Welcome everybody to the tw- I just like screamed into the microphone. <laughs> uh, sorry. Sorry. sorry, sorry the Baron. <laughs> uh welcome ev- everyone to the twenty-sixth episode of the Womble Bond Dickinson Ramble Podcast and a very special hello to all of our new followers and friends that attended the TCPA summit put on by DNC.com last week in St. Pete's, Florida. Holy smokes, that was a ton of fun. But before we talk about that, we have so much to cover because I am sorry, TCPA land. We abandoned you for like three whole weeks. It was Thanksgiving's fault. There was turkeys to be had and pies <laughs> to be eaten <clears throat> and then Christmas trees to be obtained. Uh, we got to talk about that here in a second. Uh, but for, let, let's introduce ourselves. Uh, who do we have? Queenie. Hey, Queenie.
2: This well. is the Grand Duchess. I almost forgot my name. <laughs>
1: this is
0: pause. Grand Duchess. Oh. And who are you? I am the Baron. Okay, so welcome,
1: team. Uh, all right, so we have to jump right into the most important development of the of the year, which is we've got a Christmas tree uh, here in uh, Wombobon Dickinson's second floor where we reside. Uh, you are a big international law firm, and so, of course, we have a huge budget uh, <laughs> for for Christmas decorations. And I got an email. Uh, I was just getting done with the summit. And I get an email from Queenie, who never, by the way, asks me for anything. And she's like, Eric, because she doesn't call me czar when we're not on the podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, e- Eric, the firm has given us the smallest little pathetic tree. It's unacceptable. Can I go buy a new one? And I can tell you, having now come back to the office and seen the tree, it's 11 inches tall. Uh, <laughs> so she was not kidding. Uh, I gave her permission. But we've got to tell the story because I'm looking at this tree. It's like a seven-foot-tall Douglas fir. It, it's gorgeous and honorable. How did that tree get into my office? And it office? smells wonderful. It it's, does. It, it, uh, it, totally. smells, it smells like pine and, and heaven. So how did you get that tree into my office is the question.
3: Andrea? Well,
1: we, Andrea, we, talking to the microphone. Yeah, Andrea. for once, here's our producer.
0: We how, how the here. tables
3: have turned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, So we actually took a little field trip down to the well. It wasn't Home Depot? No, it was the Christmas lot down the street. Yeah, we were the first people there. It was t- they open at 10:30? We so who's we? It's it's,
1: po- it's Queenie, Andrea, and Laurel, right? Correct. Like the three sure like smallest people you can imagine. <laughs> like go off and bring back the largest tree. Like
3: and it was raining. It was raining. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, so we picked the tallest tree in the lot, seven foot. Um, they tied up to Laurel's car. Um, <laughs> we weren't super prepared, we didn't bring scissors, so we had to use keys to like remove all in it on the tree. Yeah. <laughs> we're all, yeah, wearing we're all heels. in heels. And then we didn't know whether we could get up the regular elevator. And then we had this genius idea where we use the service elevator in the okay, building. hang on.
1: That that tree weighs more than the three of you put together. How did you carry it up here,
3: Eric? You do know I do Spartan races.
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> Pooja single handed. She just like put it over her shoulder and carried it up single handedly. I'm staring at this thing. I'm we, serious. Did so we the, take it off? <laughs> it's the t- size <laughs> of a bear. Like <laughs>
3: we should have videotaped it. It's it pretty heavy. I'm not gonna lie. So we bring it up the service elevator and we bring it into our humble abode on the second floor, and we leave a trail behind on the <laughs> way out. Pine needles everywhere. And we, yeah, uh, I think security... that. The alarm
1: went off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the alarm actually did go off. That's true. That's what happened. Uh, and then you were like, one of you was covered in pine needles. I, no, I got that the story. Was <laughs> Pooja was, yeah. Oh, God. Pooja. Um, okay. So thank you uh, to the TCPA land faithful for listening to that ridiculous story. But I just thought, you have to know these folks to really appreciate how funny this is. Um, well, thank you for letting us get a tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. That, that we tree will no was longer call you the Grinch. Um, oh! <laughs> you call the Grinch that's ridiculous I love the holiday season um, okay so you know what else I love breaking down TCPA development here we go so the biggest thing in the world has happened since last we spoke and I am so sorry TCPA land to abandon you for the last few weeks we should have been here for you when you needed us most but we weren't but we kind of were on the articles um, traced the traced act not yet law but bipartisan support in the Senate this thing is crazy important If Traced passes, it will create a working group that requires the FCC and the FTC, who have traditionally been the enforcement agencies around uh, unlawful phone calls, to get together with the CFPB. With the Department of Commerce, with the Department of Homeland Security, with the DOJ, with every federal agency that has an enforcement wing, get together and determine how they can go about enforcing the TCPA like never before. The TRACED Act is doubling down, tripling down, going all in on the TCPA. Rather than create a new enactment to battle robocalls, Congress is saying if it passes, FCC, the, the TCPA is the absolute crown jewel of the federal response to the robocall epidemic in this, in this country, and you have to enforce that act, and you have to get together with all the other enforcement agencies in the country and turn the TCPA into the single most enforced federal enactment in history because if traced passes, that is exactly what the TCPA will become. The TCPA will be the only statute, the only statute that Congress has granted express authority to every federal agency to enforce simultaneously. There is nothing else like that out there in the country, never has been, and in good likelihood, there never will be again, just the TCPA. How insane is that? And so I've written an article, you should take a look at it, pulling it all together, looking at everything that has happened over the course of the last eight months since ACA was decided in late March and trying to make sense of all of these developments and recognizing that just a few months ago, we thought that the FCC was going to be ruling following the public notice proceeding and putting the TCPA genie back into the bottle, uh, putting away TCPA litigation, turning it back into 1991, pretending, not pretending, really validating what we all knew all along which was that the tcpa was being misapplied and abused by the plaintiffs attorneys and now following marks following the pdr grant certification that calls into question whether or not the fcc even has the power to issue binding regulations and and rulings under the tcpa pursuant to the hobbs act and following most of all the Traced act which puts huge congressional and legislative attention back onto the TCPA and encourages expressly to a degree and implicitly even by its being suggested if not yet passed to the FCC that the TCPA should not be put back into a bottle that it should be interpreted broadly and not narrowly with all of these new developments we look at the landscape of the TCPA and we have to say to ourselves compliance with the TCPA is more important than its ever been before just when we thought 2018 had the promise of making the TCPA irrelevant. What an amazing, amazing turn of events Marks plus PDR plus Traced has thrown on our shores. And boy, oh boy, are we honored and glad to be here with you folks, bringing you along for all the fun. Crazy stuff. My my team is silent. What's going on? Uh,
0: yeah, just a <laughs> feeling of yikes after hearing you kind of run back through. I mean, we all know what Traced is about, but hearing it again, putting it into its context, um. This is some unprecedented stuff. I mean, when you're talking about the Department of Homeland Security getting in on TCPA enforcement, what is going on here? <laughs> like, what is going on here? And all
2: those overseas scammers. I know,
0: but it's so ridiculous. It's like we've got this it's kind Orwellian, of, isn't it? It's it is crazy. crazy. Discrete problem of, of of robocall scammers. Let's call them these illegitimate actors, and the response is to throw. The dang kitchen sink and all government agencies <laughs> at it. And it's like, no, this is not the solution. Yes, but it
1: might be if it was being thrown at the right people. Yeah, right? But yeah. we're talking about private enforcement in addition to regulatory enforcement. And who are
0: those regulators going to go after? Legit American business. Most
1: likely. right? Hol- See, the FCC, God bless them, right? for all the mistakes that they've made in interpreting the TCPA, the Wheeler administration and the, uh, and the Pi administration have been consistent on one thing which is their enforcement activities have not gone after legitimate businesses mm-hmm. for the most part. They've been going after, for the most part, uh, telemarketers and, and, and certain scammers and individuals creating uh, technology that's designed to uh, spoof and do bad things, mm-hmm. basically, for the most part. They haven't gone after the white hats. They haven't gone after the banks. They haven't gone after um, Facebooks, etc. What guarantees do we have that that will be the case if the CFPB gets involved? None if the Department of Homeland Security gets involved, right? It it becomes uh, an environment where, I mean, you can almost just imagine these agencies competing with each other to see who could be more robust in their enforcement efforts. Uh, It's horrifying, it's a horrifying notion.
0: I would imagine those agencies have other, more pressing priorities, particularly when you're talking about Homeland Security. But
1: what's more pressing than robocalls, my friend, right? I I can think of a few things. (laughs) Well, so anyway, it, so that's where we are, and, and we can't spend too much time on it because we have so much else going on. But I would encourage you to read my article. Uh, I break all these developments down. Understand, folks, everyone that's listening to me, the TCPA. I know that we all, for a long time, no one took the statute seriously, right? It was this like funny-looking statute, and you know, I, I guess I kind of resemble it to some degree, and so I, took, <laughs> so, so so I always really kind of liked it. I was just like, kind of like, yeah, man, me and the TCPA, we're kind of similar. Um, <laughs> But, but then it was, like, a, it was supposed to, like, but like, no one took it seriously. And then everyone took it, like, really seriously. And then, like, in the arc of all things, like, it was supposed to be fading out again, right? It wasn't supposed to be that big of a deal moving into 2019 and forward. And we were all supposed to have new jobs. And we launched fickerland.com like, just in case, right? I mean, ser- I mean, seriously, right? Isn't that what happened? And now look at it. It's like the TCPA is once again the most important federal statute out there. It's insane. Puja, you got nothing? Queenie, you're, you're just on here and you're just staring off at your, at your Christmas tree. Yeah, it's a nice tree. Nice <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on. So much to talk about. Uh, I, I mentioned the TCPA Summit. Such a great time. Uh, our new listeners uh, that are joining us, it, we, I really enjoyed meeting you. It was an eight-hour just wonderful uh, chance to just roll around in TCPA glory and, and just ask a bunch of questions and get a bunch of answers. And I learned a lot, and I know others learned a lot. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. So I just wanted to give that shout-out. You know, DNC.com will throw another TCPA summit here in-, in due course. And when that happens, I would encourage all of you, get out there. It's, it's, there's nothing like it to just spend eight hours talking about TCPA. It's, so, it's like, for me, it was like going to Disneyland. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like the best thing in the world. Um, <clears throat> okay, but let's talk about some more developments. Uh, we'll turn it over to you, That's Just what do we got? I just threw a pen at it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Assault. Um, Well, actually, I just want to give a shout-out to um, the Baron. Uh, He was at a conference himself. And, uh, from well, I wasn't there. I wasn't able to attend. But from what I heard from the others that were able to attend, he did a fantastic job. Like, absolutely phenomenal.
1: No one wants to hear about the Baron.
0: Uh, No. No. I'm just the understudy, man. I'm just the understudy. I just show up where the czar can't.
2: Just to give him a shout-out. But, anyway, um, so we have um, our second case. Um... Outside of the Ninth Circuit, declining to follow marks. Woo! Yay! Um, so this case is out um, was out of the Northern District of Illinois, uh, called Johnson versus Yahoo. Um, the court was asked to reconsider a ruling that it made back in 2014, de- denying Yahoo's motion for summary judgment. So back in 2014. Uh, this court relied on the FCC orders from 2003, 2008, 2012 that interpreted that an ATDS included systems that dial from a stored list without human intervention, and then on those grounds denied Yahoo's motion for summary judgment. Um, at that time, the court didn't really agree with the expensive, this expansive definition of an ATDS, but thought that, but was bound to um, follow the FCC's interpretation so it had to and therefore denied the summary judgment motion but with the new uh, ACA international decision that came out this year uh, the court was asked to reconsider this decision naturally um, so in uh, <clears throat> in analyzing this issue the court recognized that the ACA uh, set aside the SEC's um, treatment of ATDS and that it wiped the slate clean so reaching back to the statutory definition um, the court also acknowledged that some other courts, like the Marx court, uh, thought that the statutory definition is ambiguous enough to include a device that dials from a store list. But this court in particular did not find that the statute was ambiguous, which makes sense. The statute is not ambiguous. It's very clear as to what it regulates. So um, so therefore, <laughs> 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 so therefore, it um, it. Um, It uh, overturned its previous ruling.
1: So the the Johnson case, this was Northern District of Illinois, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, Okay, so this is really actually pretty fascinating because not only did the court decline to follow Marx, the court overruled itself, Yeah. right? It had originally found that it was bound to follow the FCC's interpretation, and following the FCC's interpretation, the equipment in front of it, which by the way is the Yahoo Instant Message platform, isn't that Right. Um, The court had found that the Yahoo Instant Message platform met the 2015 Omnibus standards. That's how broad, folks, the Omnibus was. But with ACA setting everything aside, boom, the court could take another look at it. The court did take another look at it, and rather remarkably, it reversed itself Mm -hmm. after Mm -hmm. finding that ACA had reversed and and set aside 03 and 08. Um, So it's a great ruling. Uh, fantastic stuff, and thanks for the breakdown. Yeah. A- anything else there, Grand Duchess? I uh,
2: know,
0: that's it. That was a great outcome, too. It was after one of the notable little tidbits there is that it was the reconsideration of the MSJ was after the court had certified the class. And so you had a certified class, and the court goes, reconsiders its prior MSJ, and then grants it in favor of the defendant.
1: Wasn't Johnson the one, though, that was certified and then decertified? I think it was.
0: I might be. I may stand corrected. On I
1: think that. it was. No, but it was certified, and then it was decertified, and then it was de <laughs> summary judgment. <laughs> um, <laughs> judgment. So, I mean, and there's a story there, uh, but I, I won't go too deep into it. But I think they switched council at some point. But I don't know if that had anything to do with it. It could just be a coincidence. Uh, but it, it is interesting to think about. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Queenie, quiet, silent Queenie, who told us a Christmas tree story and then disappeared. Hi, welcome back. Thanks. She um, didn't so, really go
0: anywhere, though.
1: Oh, uh, well, I don't know. I'm sitting
3: here. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a case from the District Court of New Jersey where the court recently denied in part and granted in part defendants motion to dismiss plaintiff's TCPA claim <coughs> um, that unsolicited text messages were placed via an ATDS In Zemmel C. SC Holdings. A complaint alleged the receipt of three text
1: messages. Wait a minute. This is the help message case. Correct. <gasps> why are we talking about the ATTS component of this? Because there's is... two components yeah, of this the case. Yeah, but the ATTS component's like yawn. Talk about the help component. That's so interesting. Okay,
3: so I'll get right into the help <laughs> component Thank of the <laughs> case.
1: This is why I'm the host, folks. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the first text message was a confirmation text confirming that the number was added to set up an account with the Texter. Plaintiff then alleged that he had not signed up for any services to receive the text so the first text was sent without his consent the second and third oh no then plaintiff then responded with help to the initial text and claimed that the subsequent responsive texts were also unconsented and they were in violation of the tcpa the judge though wait hang on stop okay stopping
1: (laughs) he texted help yes and did they then respond by helping him yes Okay, so when they responded to his help with help, <laughs> <laughs> he, he sued them. Yep. Right. Okay. So I think you kind of glossed over some of that. I just thought it was worth mentioning. Um,
3: all right. Well, they so, sent two responsive text messages okay, back so, to his help request.
0: How dare they?
3: How dare they help him?
0: You, yeah, okay,
1: help, help. No, you help me. Now you're in
0: trouble. But I think the
3: judge had the same response as you, and the judge essentially ruled when an individual sends a message inviting a responsive text, there is no TCPA violation.
1: Yeah, And that is a fantastic one-liner, oh, yeah. very well-distilled rule. Uh, by the way, did you see the authority that the court cited for that?
3: Yeah, it was that uh, Jeff. No, that was a trick question. Oh. There was none. Oh, there was none. Yeah, it was
1: oh. sentence. When a person sends a text, uh, inviting a response text, it is not a TCP violation, <laughs> period. No cite. So there is some I'll, I'll support for it. that, though. There's lots of support yeah. for that. Yeah, for The sure. court like, just didn't cite to any. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to say, <laughs> there is support for that proposition <clears throat> for sure. But I love that stuff, right? I love it when a court distills a rule and just says, period, Yep. that's Common the, sense. the okay. rule, right? Okay. Um, it's rare that a court will do that these days, but it's perfectly valid. Courts are, are able to make the determination as a matter of law, as a matter of first impression, and that's exactly what this court did. Um, and so I'm going to crib that, cut and paste that. That's going to show up in every brief I ever <laughs> write. That is a rule. <laughs> and, and it's not going to be one of those like you know "perin quo at the end. No, that's the rule that's going to start my paragraph of subsection A, OK? like That is a great rule, and I'm very impressed with that court for, for going there. Uh, and I'm very impressed with you, uh, Queenie, for breaking that down. But do you want to talk about the ATDS component too?
3: No, you already shot that down.
1: Now. No. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't remember. Like, like, t- remind me. This was one of those where the court was like, "Yeah, I'm not going to deal with the functionality." The short code.
3: No, because it was sent by a short code uh, just number. Just short code. Like that's enough. Yeah, the, and that, that was old, enough to allege the ATDS. Yeah,
1: citing that old Jiffy Loop case from yeah. like 2014 yeah. or something, Southern District of California. Like, come on, that's like. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, so I guess you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have. The facts of life. I was going to say the purchase case. but
2: <laughs> <laughs> Great job, guys.
1: Thanks. A plus. Uh, uh, well, thank you, Granddad. <laughs> so um, should we talk about this motion to stay real
0: quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you wrote a while back about um, the original stay um, that was granted in the Southern District of California. Um, remind me, that it was Judge... I want to say...
1: Did you just, like, ask me a random question? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Can I start over again? Can no, I take a no, mulligan no, on that no one? you can't. Uh,
0: okay, so, so l- let me start again. Um, so uh, We all know, and we've written before, that the Ninth Circuit is considering <laughs> the First Amendment challenges to the TCPA in the Galleon versus Charter appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big deal. And so we've slowly seen um, uh, courts, this is going to be the second one. Uh, granting stays of cases, asserting the same challenges pending the outcome of Galleon. And that's what we saw. I want to say it happened almost it's, – it's, it's right about to happen in the Purchase versus USA Fitness case. So what ended up happening there is that the defendants very smartly moved uh, – uh, essentially brought a motion to dismiss on First Amendment uh, grounds, then alternatively asked for a stay pending the outcome of Galleon. And as part of it, under the federal rules, when you make that kind of constitutional challenge uh, to a federal statute, you've got to notify uh, the USAG's office. And wouldn't you know it, the USAG chimed in. And while they didn't really address the substance of the constitutional arguments they were making, they agreed that a stay was appropriate in light of galleon. So here you are, U.S. Attorney's Office, coming on the record and and, and agreeing that stays in these sorts of cases <laughs> – are appropriate
1: how how angry would you be if you're the plaintiff's attorney right <laughs> and you're arguing you know judge there's no way reason to stay this case because these aren't legitimate arguments and you know, the case should move forward and the US Department of Justice or the AG's office yeah. comes rolling in <laughs> and is like no yeah we gotta
0: let the night <laughs> It was great. And so in response, the court's like, uh, they, they, it said an order show cause um, requiring plaintiff to explain why the case shouldn't be stayed pending the outcome of Galleon. And so seemingly you've got the defense, you've got the USAG's office and the court aligned uh, on the issue of whether a stay is appropriate. And 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 I, I don't know, it looks like I, I, if I had to bet. I would bet that the court's ultimately going to grant to stay who, in this case. Who is
1: the plaintiff's attorney? Do
0: we know? Uh, yes, our good friend Todd Friedman.
1: Oh, poor Todd. Todd. <laughs> just, just give just, up, Todd.
0: Just, hey, Todd, just consent to the stay, man. Just consent to the <laughs> stay. Just consent to the stay. Just
1: dismiss the case. Give up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> give us a call. Stop, okay. Stop give saying <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll help you, Todd. We'll help you do the right thing. Uh, it's okay. Don't hurt yourself. Uh, all right. So what else should we talk about? The reassigned number database? There's so much going on. Okay, real quick, in, in the December meeting, which is coming up on, I want to say December 17th, I should know that off the top of my head, or 14th or 12th. Someday in December, coming up here pretty soon, uh, the FCC is having their, and somebody out there is like laughing, saying, this guy calls himself the czar. He doesn't even know when the winter meeting is. Yeah, whatever. Um, the the uh, FCC is going to be adopting the proposed rulemaking, finally, creating the, re- uh, the reassigned number database. Uh, and when the rule is finalized, there's a proposed rule out there, I'm not going to break it down because it's not final yet, even though it's probably going to be final in its current form. But when it is final, we're going to break it down and give you all the nuance. But this is a really, really big development. Uh, It's exciting stuff. It's Mm -hmm. something that's been necessary for a long time. And and you can rightly say it's a necessary evil, right? Nobody else wants to have yet another scrub product that they're going to have to presumably purchase and and run uh, their scrubs against to make sure that there's not um, the potential for a, a wrong number call. By the way, no safe harbor no safe harbor in the proposed rule which is interesting so it's a you know if you don't use it then you're gonna get your hand caught in the cookie jar maybe we don't know exactly how that's gonna play itself out with constructive notice principles etc all of that yet to be seen uh, but we have very good indication that again at the December meeting we're gonna get this ruling so we will break it down when we have it very interesting stuff to think about Um, We also have this Pizza Hut case. Oh, jeez. I don't even know. I mean, ascertainability. Do we really want to talk about this again? I don't know. Um, Bottom line is a court in Florida has adopted a administration, a class action administration plan that after certifying a case of wrong number text message recipients requires notice of the class to go to the subscriber of the phone lines even where the t- the phone number was provided by the regular user and presumably, the subscriber is supposed to let the regular user know about the class and presumably obtain some kind of evidence as to whether or not the third party is the person that gave the consent or not, since the class is defined based upon people that received text messages where somebody else had given the consent. So just notifying the subscriber doesn't seem to get you to the ultimate question as to whether or not. The person that provided the phone number is the person that received the text. But somehow the court thought that that was a perfectly yeah. reasonable administration plan. And I just, my eyes fell out of my head.
0: Yeah, bed. it was just, it was just like, hey, plaintiff. Yeah, that's cool. It's good, good suggestion. Ask a subscriber. Good. We'll do that. And I'll uh, solve all our ascertainability problems. Uh,
1: I, I guess I, I gave this short trip Let me just break it down real, real fast. I just, I have to. Okay. So the class is defined as everybody that received a text message that did not provide their phone number to the texter. Yeah,
0: and this was in connection with a essentially a promotional kind of app program where folks got rewards for giving phone numbers that Pizza Hut would then, uh, or a franchisee of Pizza would then be able to text. Super test. not critical
1: part of the story, but thank you for that, RT. Um,
0: <laughs> so uh, the, the class is defined,
1: re- level setting, uh, as the folks that received text messages where a third party had provided the phone number. So the, you can't find users of cell phones. Right, I don't care what Mr. Biggerstaff said in his expert report. The fact is that carriers do not have information regarding users of phones that are being paid for as part of a subscription plan by somebody else. That data does not exist. So they're going to subpoena the carriers, obtain a list of all of the subscribers to all of the phone numbers that receive the texts, and then send like a letter to the subscribers saying hey can you let us know who is using your phone number at the time this text was sent so we can ask them whether or not they consented or provided the phone number to this promotional text that Pizza Hut sent <laughs> I'm looking over at our team as I say that um, <clears throat> that is literally their plan uh, and it is unprecedented it is baffling and even if it were t- I mean anyway yeah. So just keep this in mind folks, the point of this discussion is when you're attempting to oppose certification, do not focus unnecessarily on ascertainability. Focus on predominance because there was really important predominance arguments um that should have driven the outcome of that case and should have prevented certification, but it looks to me and look, I haven't read all the briefing, but the court looked at ascertainability as the critical key paradigm and and after it was convinced that there was essentially folks receiving texts that they shouldn't have been receiving, the court is going to find a way to drive to the result of making this administratively feasible. And that's exactly what the court did. Even using something as silly as sending a question to the subscriber to identify who's using your phone so that you can ask them whether or not they provided the phone number. Just to me, that's just baffling. But any event, so that's, that happened here as well. Anything else we should break down?
0: Real peace.
1: Oh, God, that's close on real peace. And then have I even mentioned that we have a guest today? No, not yet. Oh, geez. Uh, No big deal. It's just like the head of legal and compliance for Quinn Street, one of the largest lead aggregation companies in the world. But, hey, no big deal. Um, But go ahead, Artin. Break down real peace real quick. Sure.
0: I'll do it real quick, all right? Um, So this is a bill introduced by a trio of Democratic senators, Feinstein, Blumenthal, and Klobicar, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly.
1: The, the, the Three Musketeers. <laughs>
0: exactly. And, uh, and I'm sure everyone's wondering what Real Peace stands for. It is the Robocall Elimination at Last Protecting Every American Consumer's Ears Act. Um, consumer's Ears Yeah, Act. Cons- we're protecting consumers' ears now. Uh, I don't know. Earmuffs might be a good solution to that. But in any event, what this proposes to do is to eliminate the common carrier exception under the Federal Trade Commission Act, seemingly for the purpose of allowing the FTC to engage in some kind of enforcement actions against the telecom companies in order to force them to somehow stop the robocalls.
1: That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So the the Democrats, is this in the House or the Senate?
0: Uh, it's in, it, Senate. in the Senate. Senate the Democrats
1: bill. in the Senate essentially want to hold the carriers responsible for robocalls.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Apparently wow. they view, at least according to Fine Science Press release, it seems to cast the telecom companies as having a measure of fault, somewhere between having a measure of fault or straight up being the bad guys in the situation.
1: You know who knows a lot about telecom regulations and defending those companies? Womblebond Dickinson mm-hmm. CTM team head, headed by the great and powerful Marty Stern in that's the Washington, right. D.C. office. You should give us a call sometime. Um, that's remarkable. Uh, that yeah. is remarkable. What are the chances of that passing, though? Democratic initiative.
0: Uh, not really sure here. We you should know? ask Marty, see what he says. I think so. I think he's overdue, actually, for a visit on the podcast speaking to give some of, FCC updates. Speaking of Martys, don't yeah. we have a Marty? That we, we do have, have another Marty. to talk
1: to right now. Yeah. Marty
0: Collins. Okay, so
1: um, something is happening to my fire line. Can somebody tell me what that is? Grand Duchess, what's happening to my fire the line?
2: Fireline smoking. Oh, nice. Smoking. We wow, well
1: done. <laughs> okay. Smoking like a brisket. Well, let's, let's go <laughs> pick it up. And now, via the Womble Bond Dickinson fireline, line, we have, of all people in the whole wide world, the head. That's right, the head of the legal and compliance department at billion dollar performance marketing company Quinn Street. A real market leader out there in in the performance marketing uh, industry, massive industry, very important to many of the folks that listen to this podcast. So honored to have this guy on, Marty Collins. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, Eric. Uh, So you have the the pleasure or the honor, um, dubious though it might be, of being the first uh, in-house attorney that we've had join our podcast so that makes you very brave and a real pioneer so let me just say that at the beginning of the of the interview thanks for coming on
4: well thanks to my team for doing such a great job that I have time to do it (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, okay so Quinn Street as I've explained you're a performance marketing company but can you explain kind of what that means what does Quinn Street do how are you folks positioned in the industry
4: sure uh, Queen Street started uh, in 1999 by Doug Valenti, who is still our chairman, CEO, and largest stockholder. Uh, we went public in 2010, and I joined around 2014. Um, the company was really started in lead generation uh, with a focus on education, um, and I think what's really interesting is that, uh, frankly, I'm not sure lead generation exists, uh, at least anymore. I- kept asking people when I got here, what is lead generation, and I listened, uh, and as I continue to listen, um, let me ask you this, Eric, have you ever seen the movie or play Glen Gary, Glen Ross? Uh,
1: I've never seen anything, so no. (laughs)
4: Always be closing. Yeah, always be closing, and what do you want? You want the Glen Gary leads, right? If you're in sales, you want to be able to call someone who is in market to buy what you have to sell, right? Um, Those are the Glen Gary, those are the gold leads. Well, the reality is that can't be generated Uh, in the movie. And then I think in the play, it's a list of uh, nurses and that's relevant for the product that's trying to be sold. But you can't, Eric, if you're not in the market to buy a car, I can't put something on the internet that's going to put you in market.
1: Uh, actually, I, you've I never met me. Impulse purchases is what I'm best at. <laughs> so uh, you can sell me with any subliminal message, and I will be the first guy lining up to buy your stupid product, okay? Uh, I'm a bad well, that, example. That's
4: great. That's great. you still gotta be able to, You still got to be able to afford that car or that education or that mortgage. So the, uh, I would argue, and we now argue, including with data, that it's not about your eyeballs. It's about your intent. So, our clients are brand name financial services and other clients who are looking for customers who have intent to purchase because uh, Citibank is not going to be able to sell you a mortgage unless you are in the market to purchase a mortgage. Uh, we're not across the internet. We are in high uh, value, carefully considered uh, consumer verticals, you know, mortgages, uh, credit cards, things like that. Um, So I would submit to you that uh, I can't generate a lead that's going to convert for our clients. What I have to do is identify online who is in market that might be interested in your product or service. All right, so... Um,
1: what we do. So you use the word vertical something So I know that, you're, that you speak the truth uh, You can speak the lingo and it's over my head But but let's get serious for a second Because this is on uh, the, the Ramble podcast This is a TCPA podcast does, does Quinn Street have anything to do with the TCPA? Help my listeners to understand Why of all the human beings in the world That are clamoring to be interviewed on this show You're the right guy to talk to us about the TCPA
4: Well, every month we have literally millions of consumers who are have an intent to be in market to purchase a high-value product or service. And most people don't separate themselves from their money for things like mortgages and so forth without at least a phone call. Uh, you can buy plane tickets probably without talking to people on the phone, depending on your age cohort. Uh, hotel rooms, that seems to have made the journey. Uh, but I would submit to you, and, and automobiles are getting there, but if you're – putting out, you know, five, six, seven figures, uh, and you're making decisions about coverage, you're eventually going to talk to a human. And if that engagement, if that conversation between the brand and the human isn't with the consumer's not only consent, but expectations, uh, I'm going to hear it from the brand, and maybe the brand and I are going to be in the newspapers for the wrong reason.
1: Yeah. So now, is it the brand, or is it Quinn Street that's actually making the outbound call to the consumers for the engagement purpose?
4: You know, it, it varies, and I'm appreciative that the TCPA, as written and to date as interpreted, puts the onus on the person making the phone call. But as in most businesses, if we provide, as part of the supply chain, a consumer's phone number to uh, to a brand, to an advertiser, and they make that phone call and the consumer is not expecting it or didn't consent or doesn't feel they can have consent, whether the TCPA says that uh, the caller has the liability – you know what? I have that liability, and frankly, as a large public company, in oftentimes we are the last big balance sheet between uh, that caller and that advertiser and the internet. So, uh, you know, brand unhappiness or brand liability ultimately is my liability, whether the TCPA says so or not.
1: Wow, that's actually an extremely insightful and and fairly provocative, but yet very conservative approach. Uh, I appreciate that. So, uh, what, what is your personal role though, Marty, when it comes to the TCPA in Quinn Street? I, I mean, what what do you know, man?
4: Uh, well, I knew very little about this four years ago. Um, and I've come to learn a lot, uh, including the School of Hard Knocks. Uh, that's because I'm the head of legal and compliance, and the way we run that at Quinn Street is, uh, compliance is everything we do in the network to make sure that consumers, uh, very clear about what's going to happen what they're going to be called about when and why and by who um, and legal is in a sense uh, to the extent it's not obvious and TCPA is an example uh, blocking out what our compliance personnel have to do both in the US nationwide to meet those requirements to meet our client requirements uh, and I guess I guess if we fail to do that uh, it's more legal than compliance
1: well, the question I'm getting most right now, this is, frankly, you know, cutting to the chase. I've been kind of batting you around like a ball of yarn for no reason. I just I don't know what's wrong with me today. Too much kombucha, I think. Um, you know, getting to the point, I keep getting asked, uh, and I was just at this big summit in Florida, and it was so much fun, um, about lead aggregation. And, and I know that, that lead aggregation might be the wrong word. And, and, but what really what folks are facing um, is this concept of, especially on the Internet, where you're going to have a form that a consumer is going to encounter uh, and that form is going to purport to obtain consent for somebody else, not the person displaying the form, but somebody else that's going to rely upon the content of that form to make phone calls to them. Uh, And there's so many people that are buying these leads and that are interested in knowing and being assured that those forms are going to be reliable and enforceable when the day comes when they have to demonstrate the prior written express consent. Uh, and it seems to me like Quinn Street and, and you in particular, like you are just right there in the crosshairs of this like critical, critical issue right now. Um, so if you can, I mean, what are the practices, what are the best practices that you folks are trying to employ to make sure that when you get these leads, when you obtain this consent, that this is something that folks are going to be able to rely on, uh, that your brands, as you call them, are going to be re- able to rely on to make some calls?
4: Uh, sure. And I think where we'll end up on that point is that uh... – You've got to have third-party verified consent. But before we get to that, those buzzwords, uh, let's let's begin the beginning. Uh, we look at it as never solve a problem we can avoid. So problems arise when sitting aside plaintiff's lawyers, and we'll get back to them and the dogs in a minute, mm-hmm. but problems, problems arise when consumers' expectations are not met. You're like, Marty, don't bore me. What the heck does that mean in terms of TCPA? Well, TCPA is some... Very specific requirements and as interpreted down to font size. But you know what? If a consumer fills out a form online and is not expected to be called by brand X, if they get called by brand X, they can become grumpy. They get become really grumpy when they sign up to uh, talk about product A and somebody calls them about product B. So we view the TCPA as an attempt to you know, at that time, maybe not have cell phone charges go up or, but really what it's about is don't create grumpy consumers. Um, so how do you, how do you do that? How do you make sure that you have happy advertisers? Um, I think we've provided you all, and it could be a whole other pro- podcast about the criteria for consent. Although, frankly, I don't think it's that confusing, and Eric, you just got back from a conference. Are people still confused about what it takes to have a valid consent?
1: Yeah, people are are deeply confused. They want to know, for instance, if you're going to use the phrase affiliates, does that allow – what group of people does that allow to call? Is it better to have your specific name, if you're going to be the the brand making the phone call, your specific name listed on that lead? Can you use a hyperlink to identify the leads uh, or the individuals uh, that, that you're agreeing to receive calls from? Uh, but what what you just said, and I want you to unpackage it, I know you're about to, is golden. The answer ultimately is the better informed you can have that consumer be, the clearer you can be so the consumer knows exactly what it is that they're agreeing to, the more likely it is that you're going to be able to enforce that form. It is really as simple as that. I mean, is that is that what you've seen in your line of work as well?
4: Yeah. I mean, setting aside the dogs, which we'll come back to, but for an actual human consumer, uh, sure now let's also talk about form factor right it's one thing to say that if you if if Citibank and Wells Fargo provided all the possible mortgage opportunities in the world then the only two people that if you're looking for a mortgage that you would ever be consent to be contacting is City and Wells well we know that's not true and we know that FICO scores vary and we know that GEO varies uh, in terms of interest by advertisers so lead aggregation, I think, is a phrase, uh, I think a better phrase is multi-matching. In other words, a consumer who's looking, if you go on Expedia, you don't know, and you're trying to get from A to B by air, you don't know a priori whether United or American or Delta is the best way to get you there, right? I mean, that's the part of doing the search. And so you go on Expedia and it shows up. All these names uh, that might contact you. Well, there's a finite number of branded uh, airlines, and the online, you know, financial services, particularly on, you know, online, it's it's finite, but it's a bigger set, right? So, I mean, I think the word affiliates is not helpful. It doesn't tell the consumer what's going to happen. I think a list of names is nice, but if I'm on my phone, how am I really going to read that? Um, I think a hyperlink is a nice compromise. but again, is it about the hyperlink, or have we internally instituted matching rules that say you will be matched to less than if, – if a consumer looks at three things before they make a decision, why would I match them to four? Okay. I'm going to match them to two minus N, right? Um, and as we get into dynamic forms, which is something that's happened in the last year or so, as the consumer answers the information, you could actually take that hyperlink down to the, the, the smaller finite number of people that could contact them. So, so, again, uh, all of it's about being as clear as practicable, including within the form factor of a, of a cell phone, a uh, handphone, uh, what is going to happen to the consumer. I, in my view, complying with TCPA is the easier part. Uh, the harder part is setting and meeting the expectations of the consumer.
1: That's always the hardest part: is keeping these consumers understanding what's going to happen and honoring their contact consent preference. So, I mean, what are these engagements that, that Quinn Street is creating to begin with? I mean, how are we bringing um, these the leads to market? What, what is it that we're that the, the consumers are, are seeing when a, a Quinn Street um, property, shall we call it, um, web view form? Um, what, what's the what's what's the engagement tool? Well,
4: the well, the internet's fairly flat. And there are the parts that we own and the parts we don't so um, and what I mean by that is uh, I don't for a given product or service let's see it's the holidays uh, Rolex watches I don't I don't know ahead of time if you're going to read the LA Times or the New York Times so if I'm selling Rolex watches I want to find a mechanism to put that watch in front of you where you're likely to purchase it so from our perspective we own and operate uh, websites, which we try to make interesting and compelling uh, so that they'll rank for legitimate reasons on Google, um, but we don't have to write every newspaper and we don't expect to. Our job is to go out and find sources of traffic that are relevant to the consumers for the products and services that our customers, our clients, are interested in. Um, and to do that, uh, we're if they have if those sites are not ours and they have good technology, including to be able to produce validated third-party consent, which we'll get to, um, that's fine. But I would say more often than not, we're installing our technology on popular sites. And frankly, some of these can be very tiny, you know, single single publisher, no tech staff, but people that are writing highly compelling. Uh, uh, bits of content on, you know, what's the best credit card for travelers, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's our job to go find compelling sources of content that are likely to have traffic that are interesting to our advertisers, and then to sort through that traffic to make sure that we match the right consumer to the right advertiser.
1: And that brought you to TCPAland.com, right? (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe.
4: no, it, it uh, you know, it, it, and, and so, again, as the last big balance sheet, I mean, there's a lot of people in the industry. There's not a lot of people that are public. Um, and so if someone, you know, thinks they had a bad lead aggregation experience, et cetera, uh, it's we're a lot easier to find. Um, and so, we, I mean, we sometimes, Eric, I get, we, you know, we get calls, emails, texts every, I don't know about every day, but certainly every week or month, where someone has had a bad experience, and they contact us, and they are just not in our database. Um, And we still work hard to figure out who they might have come from, and to find those people, and to tell them that uh, there's a grumpy consumer, and where that consumer is, and had that experience, there's probably others.
1: Yep. Uh, So, tell me about uh, third-party validated consent. How, How does that fit into the whole pie?
4: Sure. Well, for any uh, whether or not we operate a form uh, or use somebody else's technology, for every consent that we're delivering that someone might make a phone call to, whether it's us or one of our clients or brands, uh, we have to be able to show that that consent exists. Um, I mean, obviously for TCPA purposes. And so uh, you know, Marty says is pretty good uh, with some people, um, but you know, who it's not that great with. Uh, Plaintiffs' counsel, right? If if we've gone to a rule that if we can't produce effectively a screenshot with an IP address of that consent within 48 hours, then we've uh, we've created a problem instead of avoiding a problem. But if we can produce validated third-party consent within the first two business days, and we're looking to take that down every day, the plaintiffs, professional or otherwise, are. Uh, then they're down to saying that the dog did it and we will get there um, but if we can produce that consent within two business days um, the problem goes away otherwise you start to spin up litigation expense and then people start to tell you that they'll just go away if you're four figures or five figures or if they're in a bad mood low six figures um, and so what is validated third-party consent validated is not just it has a Queen Street stamp on it that says this happens because the plaintiffs will say of course Marty you're gonna say it happens um, but it's having technology, uh, such as Jornaya's Guardian technology or, uh, trusted form by Active Prospect. And our experience is, def- you know, for the plaintiff's attorneys and for third parties that are just grumpy, uh, if we can say, look, uh, this seems like you, um, and here it is and here it is quickly, uh, you know, we now view that as table stakes in our
1: business. Well, this is interesting. So, so here's Quinn Street, uh, a lead aggregator. Hate that word as we might, as we might. A performance <laughs> marketing company, certainly. Um, and you're saying, I mean, you're actually saying these third-party vendors who are unrelated to Quinn Street, I presume. And uh, you've named a couple. I, I won't, Correct. I won't name a couple. I do, I do my best to never endorse a product or service here on the podcast. Um, but, but you're saying that like, this is important that that your clients, your brand. Should retain the services of these sorts of companies to be able to not just know that they had the consent, but be able to prove the consent.
4: What I'm saying is whether or not our clients elect to do that, uh, I'm going to. Interesting. And, yeah, and we'll we'll come back to a not quite a prisoner's dilemma problem in a second, but uh, that's table stakes. I mean, it's just whether or not the client mandates it. Again, there, there are people in the industry that say, look, I'm going to build my own you know, screen, snapshot, and then when we get a TCPA complaint, I'm going to send it. And the plaintiff's counsel or the grumpy person on the other end is going to go, yeah, of course you say this is, this is what happened, but you're you, right? So to have an unaffiliated third-party validated consent whose sole business model is that, right, whose, whose economics are not rateable with how I'm doing – uh, is a huge difference. And, and you know, those two companies in particular have done a tremendous job with their technology. Um, and, uh, again, we just view that as, it's easy enough to say Marty said. Uh, but this says, somebody else says, who's in the business of making that statement true, correct, and complete.
1: So that's interesting. So if you're a company that's a brand that's looking to sell a product and you're interested in, in what, a uh, performance marketing company or lead aggregator to do business with, are you saying that Quinn Street, just as, as a matter of practice, is going to be able to back up that these consents uh, for lead ag- aggregation that are being obtained uh, using this third-party validated data? I mean, that's just going to be part of the product that you're providing, not only an assurance that this lead ag- lead is what it purports to be, but some objective third-party proof of that.
4: Yes, and we don't upcharge for that. I mean, we don't, we don't say to people... Trust me, and it's a dollar, and third-party validation is
5: $2. Yeah.
4: Um, that's just, again, it's, it's table stakes. So um, can I let you in on a little secret, even on a publicly available podcast?
1: Uh, we do this all the time, man. It's just me and you. No one's going to hear it. <laughs> Trust me. It's fine. What do you got?
4: Here's the challenge. If you're a brand and your marketing, your, your legal department will tell you, I don't want anything that doesn't have TCPA consent, and they might say, uh, and we'd like third-party validated consent, so check. Uh, and then your marketing department says, look, I want to sell a 100 widgets this month. And the validated, vetted uh, third-party consent uh, leads that I'm getting from Quinn Street only add up to 80. But I really want to sell another 20, or at least I want to call another 20. Where can I go get 20? Unless that in-house department has one of two things, either regularly wins that battle – Or number two has been sued in the past and it's gotten the attention of the GC and the CFO. Um, You know, marketing gets to run and and all public, no publisher is going to tell you, here are your leads, but some of these aren't compliant, right? So when you're trying to hit some minimum number of contacts, uh, there can be pressures, valid business pressures, to stretch beyond, certainly beyond validated third party consent. Um, And so what I'm telling you is that in markets where there's a uh, thoughtful or once-burned-twice-shy brand with respect to TCPA, validated third-party consent is not a hard sell. And remember, it doesn't cost you anymore, Mm -hmm. but here's what costs you. If I have to go into a market where a client is willing to buy traffic that does not have validated third-party consent, I'm at a commercial disadvantage unless and until the day that they get sued and it gets the GCs and the CFOs and maybe even the CEOs' attention, right? It's just basic externalities. Yeah. So, so, go ahead.
1: And and what's interesting is not only are you at a commercial disadvantage, you're actually at risk uh, to the same degree as the folks, the brand is at risk because they're going to become a TCPA mark because some of these folks they're calling – Maybe didn't actually have real consents, and that's going to make uh, that 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 business um, you know get on on the radar screens of the plaintiffs' attorneys. And as everyone in TCPA land knows, once you're on their radar screen, they don't let go of you. Uh, and so today's case might be about the non-validated uh, baloney consent that came from somebody else. Uh, but once they've got that brand in, in their crosshairs, they're not going to let them go, and they might try to shake them down even on on valid consents that uh, that Quinn Street brought along. So uh, that is actually an interesting risk factor that you bring up.
4: Yeah, I, I think if you a close read of the docket would confirm that that already exists, and you and I could probably put together a heat map of the folks that have religion and where religion is yet to be got.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, listen, man, this has been absolutely fascinating, but you've said the word dogs like four times, and, and so we've got we've to pay that off. We've teased our poor listeners, so who are the dogs, man? What are, what are you talking about?
4: Okay, so uh, does anybody on this call that isn't me remember the famous New Yorker cartoon of a dog sitting at a computer with the, with the line below it, or the tagline, on the internet, no one knows if you're a dog. Anybody
1: no you' you're alone, <laughs> I, just just to be clear, I read the Atlantic, okay <laughs>
4: <laughs> Well, read the letter to Churchill's mother because I just sent it to one of my kids, but anyway, um, so but so let's say I have a validated third party consent, and I've got and you know your plaintiff who maybe happens to be a paralegal at your law firm uh, not your law firm, but a plaintiff's firm yeah, uh, never has never happened yeah, yeah <laughs> the, yes the 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 named plaintiff who happens to work at a law firm and lives in Iowa City, and I have a validated third-party consent uh, that says that an IP address, that region at that time, and maybe even I have uh, more information about where that was placed, and I send that to said law firm. And you know what? Sometimes they have the gall to say to me, you can't prove that was me.
1: Can't prove that like, was me.
4: Could been, Could have been my dog right? I mean, you can, you can, yeah, it's IP address. and Yeah. Maybe you've even got my Mac address, but that phew, could be the dog. Um, yeah.
1: You mean you don't have biometric sensors built into every keyboard in the country by now? I mean, come on guys, what are you doing?
4: <laughs> I, I can't answer that on an open line. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> but, it, but in all seriousness, I mean, that's, if, if you have validated third party consent, you are down to effectively plaintiff's counsel arguing that it was the dog. And with sophisticated plaintiff's counsel, that's a really short argument. That's why we come back to, you know, within two business days, right, show them that you have one of those because then their, their argument is reduced to it was the dog. And it's a little bit like securities litigation. I, look, I get there are grumpy consumers that have valid grounds to be unhappy, whether they're security holders or people that have received phone calls. And I don't begrudge people, uh, you know, making a vague on restoring justice to those plaintiffs. Um, but if, if we're talking about validated third-party consent, the, the result should be go bother somebody that doesn't have that. Um, but but if you want to bother me, and it did it, it, you know happened in the early days, if you want to bother us, we will – console on you and you can tell me that for i can get out of it for four or five even six figures we will spend seven
1: there you go millions for defense zero for tribute that's exactly what i want to hear out of my uh good podcast interviewees uh so let's just pause momentarily i'm looking over at queenie who's giggling at me um because Queenie and I are dealing with this exact scenario, right? We've got a good third-party validated consent. One of our clients is, is using uh, a, a lead aggregator that, that is responsible, as Quinn Street is and has this additional proof that's been provided. Uh, and it's a repeat player sort of um, individual and a repeat player law firm. And it's a complete scam. And they are doing exactly what you suggest. They are saying, hey, I mean, yeah, you've got my, uh, my correct address and my correct Uh, Social Security number and phone number uh, and all of these pieces of personal identifying information match. And, yeah, there's this cool little drania thing, in this case I think it was, um, demonstrating that, uh, in fact, it all matches. uh, And the IP address is is near my home, but it wasn't me. Prove it was me. (laughs) Uh, And and so that's exactly as you describe, uh, my good client. Uh, You know, we've done one or two of these. Uh, so the story you are telling, uh, folks that are listening, uh, that this is not just made-up stuff. I mean, a- anecdotally, this is happening, and it's happening with more regularity than it ought to, but more regularity than, than many people realize. Um, e- even in the face of, of pretty solid proof, uh, these folks are still trying to push forward. So something to keep in mind. And, and, you know, it's tough enough to deal with these knuckleheads, even with all the proof in the world. Uh, imagine trying to do it without it.
4: Yeah, well, I think it helps. I mean, first of all, we have a the team has done a great job in legal and in simplifying this because the people that uh, are making calls are. You know, we have to make TCPA simple enough for new college grads or non college grads. Um, and so I love I love the podcast and the detail everything. The reality is like it comes down to what's the form supposed to say and what's the call script. Um, and then when we get to litigation, having you know, never solve a problem you can avoid, having removed from the top of our funnel 80-plus percent of the cases through third-party validated consents, then we can, as my uh, boss would say, put more wood behind fewer arrows. And I'm just grateful to have the support of the CFO and the board uh, to say, you know what? Yeah, we could get rid of this for four figures, but it's nonsense. Um, and and it, so the other thing we try to do is we point out to clients if, if y'all would to the extent practicable mandate this across the board and we can't that's your decision it's your company but to the extent that you, you use us uh, if you have any issues with your consents, we will resolve them we don't debate indemnification uh, the, the price of doing business and providing people with interested consumers high intent consumers to contact is that if there's some grumbling about that, whether it's a dog or a professional plaintiff or whatever, um, we will take care of that because we've put in the work on the front end, and we know on the back end uh, we will do the best we can on the back end. But we'll take you know the problem with responsibility is responsibility.
1: Well said. Uh, And so those of you listening, I mean, Quinn Street, head illegal, just came on our podcast and said, look, you use our lead, you get sued, you can expect us to stand behind you, and we've got years of experience trying to do this right to make sure that we can give you a good defense. Uh, That's pretty powerful stuff, Marty. I was not expecting that, I'm impressed.
4: It's, again, uh, if we're, I could, we could spend time debating with clients that hyper-technically who made the call doesn't matter, right, it doesn't matter uh... it's our responsibility and unfortunately or not we've built up an expertise and we built up a technology base and we'll use it for the benefit of the people that work for us.
1: Well it's really it's it's nice to hear you say that. I always tell my team right there's a difference between responsibility and fault even if it's not your fault it's still your responsibility and it doesn't change and there's no excuses and you have to be able to meet those responsibilities because either you do or there's consequences it's that simple Uh, and so it's nice to hear that there's a good company out there that kind of takes that motto seriously as we, as, as we live and die by that every single day here, uh, in TCPA land. All right, my friend, you have been an absolutely incredible and extremely informative guest. So as we always do, it is our tradition, uh, here on the podcast at the end of every interview, as you probably know, we open it up to our guests and we give you 30 seconds or a minute to, to say, Whatever you want, you can pitch your wares or talk about how great your family life is or whatever in the world you want to talk about. It's all yours. The powerful Womble Bond Dickinson Ramble podcast platform, it's yours, Marty. What do you have to say, man?
4: Well, I would just go back to, you know, again, never solve a problem you can avoid. Um, and the reason for that is probably the only superset above that was is the, the, the greatest gift you can give somebody is the gift of time so they can spend it with their family or on their hobby or heck getting, you know, further on their career and so forth. So in the spirit of giving you the gift of time, I am going to give you the rest of the time back. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: very well done.
4: The the, 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 the
1: Grand Duchess is in stitches over here. Um, Outstanding work, Marty. Great guest. Thank you you. Okay, so uh, that was awesome, first. Second, we stopped recording too soon because mm-hmm. as soon as we said bye to him, he stayed on the line, and he gave us a couple of fantastic little tidbits that I promised I would relate and I'm going to relate. Um, so Quinstry is is really serious about standing behind folks that are facing TCPA challenges. And, in fact, as he was just saying, if you are using Quinstree and you get into some sort of trouble, you skin your knee, somebody doesn't like a lead, there's a grumpy consumer, as he was putting it, Don't try to handle it yourself, reach out to Quinn Street and let the experts handle it, as he was saying, and as we here in TCPA land preach every single day, the stuff out there, it moves way too quick. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of articles breaking down new developments every day in this space, but if you're not somebody that really practices in this field and keeps up with the dynamic nature of the law, you're just, you're in harm's way. Uh, and so, Quinn Street's point and, and Marty's point, which I thought was a great one, is you know, when you come to the hospital, let the doctors take it from here, mm-hmm. okay? Just, just just get the ambulance as quickly as you can. Don't hold on to these cases for too long because chances are you're going to sink in that quicksand and, and somebody's available to pull you out. Yeah. And I thought that was a great point.
0: And you're not going to get a gastroenterologist to do open heart surgery, you know? So, you've got to find <laughs> the right doctor and, 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 Put yourself in those hands.
1: So, other than breaking down uh, that little piece, what did you guys think, uh, Grand Duchess? What did you think?
2: So, um, I really liked what he had to say early on, um, earlier in the conversation, when he said that you know part of the problem is um, the customers or consumers' ex- expectation is not being met, yep. and that mm-hmm. you know making sure that the consumer understands exactly what they're consenting to, and then being able to honor those contact preferences, you know, very very important stuff. And I thought that was you know interesting. And-
1: well, I think it's interesting because there's a bit of a tension, and now I'm going to go off and say something I don't know uh, if everyone's going to agree with this or not. But many times I wonder if lead aggregators, not like Quinn Street, but other lead aggregators actually want the consumer to know what's going to happen mm-hmm. with those leads, right? And so if you're kind of like a shady um, operation, maybe you're you're pitching one set of wares, right? Uh, you're bringing them uh, to a website to discuss horoscopes or, or a dating website, uh, and you, but you're getting consents for, Uh, folks to give you a call about, you know, hardware and and new Home Depot at or, you know, and and these things happen in these disclosures, right, embedded in the fine print. And the consumer experience there is, well, wait a second, I never agreed to, to find out about a circular saw. And maybe they actually did, right, because when they went to Match.com and filled out the disclosure, there was that little, you know, fine print they didn't read. Um, But when you get that far divorced between the consent that's being obtained, the disclosure form, and what the consumer's experience is, again, I mean, you're looking to a certain degree, you're looking for trouble. And so if you're looking to buy leads, you want to be asking yourself, uh, are the disclosures solid? But even if the disclosures are solid, what's the consumer experience look like? And I thought Marty's point and to your good point, Grand Duchess, that that really if the consumers the consumers' experience is going to drive whether or not you're going to get into litigation. I, I thought
0: that's a great point, really important to keep in mind. Absolutely, it, it, like uh, this holistic kind of view that TCPA compliance goes beyond just the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. It's it was, uh, that was one of the things that I mean I just was really so insightful and so good to hear. You know that this is a, a genuine and sincere desire to deliver a good product and a good experience for consumers and placing a premium on that as part of your overall compliance strategy. I thought that was brilliant.
1: Speaking of brilliant, Queenie, what do you got over there? <laughs> well, I thought
3: it was really interesting how he said complying uh, TCPA consent is easy to comply with. That's the easy part, but making sure that, that your consumers are happy is the difficult part. Mm-hmm. And I liked how he touched on everything that they do to keep their clients happy and the way Quinn Street operates, it's no wonder that they have such a strong reputation for compliance.
1: Well, folks, this has been a lot of fun. Um, This was our penultimate Episode. That's how you call it, right? If it's the second to last one of something, it's penultimate. I believe so. Uh, so this is our penultimate episode of the first season of the Ramble. Can you guys believe it's December? Yeah, yeah. This is wild.
0: So uh, since we have a season, do we end the like next one on a cliffhanger, like keep the audience guessing as to which cast member died that? Yeah, something I was going to say no. Actually, <laughs> no, no, no. In the podcast, one of us is going to die. Next episode.
1: <laughs> is that what it, uh, is, it is? Like, Gosh, how do we like well, guys, get it's the holiday b- season? Back to <laughs> two more, no, b- no, two more. You and, then, b- then, b- no, and then after.
0: We end, we have to do like next on <laughs> the ramble, <laughs> and then we provide little clips. You know, Halloween kind of like was in Dead, October, it? guys. It's Christmas. <laughs> uh, Okay, okay, fine. Yeah, I obviously have
1: no idea how season finales are supposed to work. Um, <laughs> Andrea is crying over there.
0: Um, well, yes, as Andrea the man changed. who didn't get the Glen Glenn Ross reference, like the businessman think, who didn't get the Glen Glenn Ross reference. No? Um,
1: so, I, I mean, should we end the podcast talking about the Christmas tree like we ta- we started the podcast? Uh, you guys, y- y- I know you can't see it, but uh, I'm telling you, this Christmas tree is gorgeous. Uh, these <laughs> poor pu- people had to carry this Christmas tree up here um but whatever anyway <laughs> enough about, whatever, uh, whatever. Enough about that <laughs> on that note <laughs> on, on that note um, thank you for listening how do i end these things i forget because it's been three weeks uh just, live just, as always from the <laughs> west coast podcast studio of the ramble uh wait of the ramble no the west coast <laughs> podcast studio of Bond dickinson <laughs> Holy so smokes, off the I am done, folks. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to have one more. Uh, thank you so much. Second to last episode of uh, season one. Take it away. We're it's done.
0: It's Bond Dickinson penultimate episode ramble. <laughs>